0: As Brother Todd mentioned earlier, if you've been with us, we've been intentionally walking through each of the Gospels during the month of December. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hearing how they begin their Gospels and what that might say to us as we consider the birth of Christ, the coming of the King. If you're with us in Matthew, Matthew tells about five stories. And each of those stories has this one word that kind of connects them all together, and it's the word fulfillment. And then Mark came and Mark begins the gospel, he says to begin the gospel, but he doesn't tell about Jesus' birth, but instead starts with John the Baptist, saying it's the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah, that the Yahweh, that God would come to his people. Last week, Brother Todd walked with us in Luke and how there was a holy night, that indeed the child to be born to you will be called holy, he will be the son of God. And now this week we come to the fourth and final gospel, John, and to hear how John begins his gospel. As we think about beginnings, I remember just the moment in which River was born, April 3rd, 2010. And man, that moment in which they hand and put him in my hands. And it was just this moment, and like, man, I'd been there. Like for the ultrasounds, I'd heard the heartbeats, right? I'd felt the kicks. But the moment he came out, I was like, there was actually somebody inside of you. Like, this is crazy. Like, I just, I look at this overwhelming feeling. Like, and guess what? As the other kids followed along, like it just didn't lessen. Like every time I was just like, I cannot believe there's actually a kid in there. That's crazy to me. Like it just blew my mind. Like that just to see this moment come to fulfillment, that a child would come into your hands. And, and as I think about that, it, it, listen, it's a beautiful, amazing moment, but it doesn't even come close to comparing to the moment that John's going to describe for us. John is going to say to us in the beginning, And he's going to tell us about how Jesus, this God from creation, this God of Genesis 1, this God who spoke everything to existence, he's going to say this God has actually become flesh. This God has come into humanity. He stepped on the scene. And I think it's just a moment of saying to us, guys, we must recognize how serious our God is about being reconciled to us. He's so serious that he himself becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's this beautiful moment. But John says, guess what? There's a problem. That seeing the light or believing in Jesus just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because the people of Israel knew the Old Testament. It doesn't happen because we know our Bible well enough or because we've grown up or been in the church in fact, what John will tell us is the people that you might most expect would receive and respond, the people who know the most, well, it's those people who reject him, who don't want anything to do with him. And John writes to them to say, guys, it's not simply, you know, Matthew pointed the fact that Jesus is fulfillment, but he's saying it's not just simply that he's fulfillment. Jesus Everything to which all of the Old Testament has pointed, all of creation has been leading to this point. It's been looking to this point of God becoming flesh. It's Jesus coming, guys, when he comes, we have God in the flesh who has come to save us from our sins. So I think we need to ask today, well, what does it mean that the word became flesh? Like, who is the word and why is it so significant? What's so valuable and special about Christmas? So let's look now, if you would, to John chapter one, verses one through 18, as we walk with John to hear how the gospel begins. And we come to this first truth that Jesus coming declares God, the creator, has become flesh. When Jesus comes, it's a declaration that God, the creator, who spoke everything into existence from nothing, that he's actually become flesh. Before we come to verse 1 here, look at me just for a moment to verse 14. It's a statement, and the Word became flesh. It's just a, it's a profound moment that we're going to come to in a moment again, but I want you just to wrestle with that for a moment. The Word became flesh. But to understand that statement, right, we, we must first understand, well, who is the Word? And that's why we rewind it back to verse 1 and Listen to what it says beginning in verse 1 here of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Did you hear that statement? In the beginning? Do you know another book that starts out exactly like that? Genesis, I hear you whispering it, right? Genesis chapter 1 begins that very word. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. John doesn't want us to miss. This isn't accidental, like, oh, he's just haphazardly choosing words. No, John says, guys, remember that statement from Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God? Guess what? I'm returning back there. Because if you want to understand Jesus, you have to come all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you have to know the God of the beginning, the God of creation. You have to know that, in fact, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was there in the very beginning, Right, Jesus coming in some way is a new creation. It's a new beginning. God's word is, in fact, how he spoke the entire creation into being. And now he says, listen, God's word is how he's been revealing himself all throughout the Old Testament. But notice what he says about this word. In the beginning was the word. What about this word? Notice what he says here further in verse 1. And the word was with God and the word was God. I think those are two profound statements. First, the fact he says the word was God. Notice that he says the word was God, it indication that God, the father and this word were one. Right. And we, we also know, right, as we understand God's word, that it's not simply father and son, but also Holy Spirit. But it's a profound statement. And the word was God. This is God. This is no less God like Jesus. I, I think there's sometimes that thought that when Jesus comes to earth, he's like less God. He, he's not. He's fully God and fully man. He doesn't like become lesser of who he is. Right? There's some ways in which we can't understand the fact, as Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 7, that he emptied himself, right? That he takes on the form of a servant. But he's still God. And notice what else he says here that's also interesting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, notice his statement, with God. So not only was the Word God, he's also with God, which in some way indicates that he's distinct, right? So we might understand that it's one God revealing himself through three distinct persons. As Father, son and holy spirit and that's what he's saying to us that this word this god from the beginning he's he's becoming flesh and so we might ask well who is this word right i mean if this word was in the beginning and he's actually god but he's distinct from god the father because he's not simply god he's also with god then we ask well who is this and that's what john answers in verse 14 he says this word this one from the beginning he became what church became flesh. He's saying that, listen, I want you to know that God stepped down into eternity. He stepped out out of heaven and came into our earthly realm, right? Stepped in, became human, took on human form. And that's what he's saying. He said, I want you to know who this God is. And so he talks about him further in verse 2 and 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. He begins to talk about for a moment, how did creation begin, right? Because look what he talks about there in verse 3. He says that all things were made through him. And without him, without the word right here, the word that's now become flesh, he says, without him, not anything was made that was made. Right? He says that he wants you to know that he is in him as life. He's the light of men. He's the one who speaks everything. Now think about that. How could God have created all things? Maybe he could have winked. He could have danced, right? I don't know what God could have done, but God chose to speak. He's spoken in existence. Why? Because think about it. When people speak to us, it so often reveals their heart, doesn't it? It begins to show us who they are, their character. Think about that as you hear people speak. And guess what? The writer of Hebrews says, I want you to know who this God is. He says, if you have seen Jesus, then you have seen the exact representation of God. You've seen God in the flesh. But as the first creation begins with God speaking, this new creation unfolds as the word becomes flesh. God comes to live among us. He is indeed Emmanuel. But notice what he says. The statement here is the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. I think we can so often breeze past it. That God became flesh. God came to us. But why? Why did God come to us? I think the Bible says to us the reason why God came to us is because we could never come to Him. And it's not only that we couldn't come to Him, it's that we wouldn't come to Him. Romans 1 says that that we are actually enslaved to the things of this world. That we're in this, this terrible, like, just ongoing cycle Of rebellion against god that is entrapped by like seeking the pleasures and treasures of this world and that we're so enslaved to it we're we're so in bondage to this sin that we refuse the light we love jesus says in john 3 we delight we love in the darkness we love this darkness and so god knows this and god in his love guess what he does and he comes to us the word became flesh hear that statement And so John, in John chapter 1 here, verse 1, he's returned to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He rewinded all the way back to Genesis 1. But when he comes to verse 14, he rewinds back, not to Genesis, but instead to Exodus. Notice what he says. And the Word became flesh. And what's he do? He dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is the word that you would see in the Old Testament for the tabernacle. As you think back to the time of Exodus when the people were delivered out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery and God parted the Red Sea and they went through and they spent that 40 years there wandering in the wilderness. It was there, right, when they built the, the tent of the tabernacle. And it was to represent God's presence as His glory was amongst the people. But he says, I want you to know that in this new creation, this new thing that God's doing, it's something that's baffling to the heart and the mind. And it's this, that God Himself becomes flesh And He doesn't dwell with us simply as a tent. Right? His presence there. He says, I want you to know that He dwells with us as flesh. He's become human. God has come to us. It's this unbelievable imagery, right? Again, God coming to His people. I I want to be clear here that in, in becoming flesh, right? Again, Jesus doesn't stop becoming God. He's fully God and fully man here. But church, this is glorious news. Because in Jesus, in Emmanuel... We now have God not merely among us, but God with us. And Lord willing, right, as, as the text unfolds, what we see is, is that God ultimately comes to indwell us through the Holy Spirit. It's the hope of the gospel. I think that I'd encourage us today as a church, as we look out to how do we encounter the darkness in the community around us, it's a reminder that we never come in our own strength. We can't overcome the darkness, but God can. And the good news is he is with us, empowering our witness, empowering our serving, empowering our ministry. Think about that. Others maybe of you here today. You're singles or you're a widow or widower. Maybe Christmas is a reminder of how lonely you are. I pray it's an encouragement as you read these words that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God desires to come near to you, that he doesn't desire that you would be alone. It's the good news of the gospel. Maybe to those facing a time of darkness and struggle, never forget that God, the true light, became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the hope of the gospel. I was reminded of the power of darkness and light yesterday, this hope that we have. We had gone to visit Emily's family, and we were there in the basement, and, and Pavey and I, we, we walked in this room together, and it was dark. And for a moment, I didn't flip the light on, but I got down on my knees, and I pulled her really close, and I said, baby, I want you to know that even in the darkness, who's here? And she said, daddy. And I said, and who else is with us? And she said, God. And I was like, baby, that's right. And then she said, Daddy, can we turn on the light? (laughs) It's a reminder, guys, that we're not alone. That there's a God who's with us. Right? And that darkness, it it was a moment, right? I bent down there, but man, that darkness, she just clung to me tighter. Some of you are in that season of darkness. I want to compel you, instead of turning away and running away and wondering, God, I want to compel you all the more to embrace tighter, to hold fast, to recognize that the light shines in the darkness. So church, Jesus' coming shows us clearly that God has become flesh. Secondly, John now reveals to us, the gospel writer, that Jesus' coming is declared by John's witness. I'll be really honest with you because the attention we gave to John or to gave to John the Baptist in the gospel of Mark, I just thought about skipping the section. Right. I was just like, man, we've talked a lot about Mark or John already and covered a lot of his background and his importance and significance. But it's interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all four give attention to John the Baptist. And I thought, man, Lord, if your Holy Spirit inspired the words of these scriptures as we believe it did, then we need to pause and just give time and attention to what does John's coming actually mean. And look what it says, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Notice he says that John is coming. He's sent from God and he's a, he's a witness. It's this imagery of a courtroom, right, of coming there and verifying a testimony, right, on behalf of this other person. He said, that's who John is. He, he comes to bear witness about this light that shines in the darkness and he might, he wants all people to believe in him. Right? The imagery again of a man coming to the darkness and and proclaiming the light is one that Paul picks up on. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he, he speaks verses 4 through 6 about the fact that, guess what? Back to the original creation where there was darkness prior to light, that's our spiritual condition. We're in the darkness. And the truth is, as Paul says, that the God of this age, which he's speaking about Satan, he says that he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they can't see the light. Right? I see the light coming in now. I don't know if you caught it a while ago when we were singing there, right? All glory be to Christ. And it talked about, and he shall be our steadfast light, right? And all of a sudden it was like, boom, this glow started coming through the window. I was like, okay, God, I hear you, bro. Right? I mean, it was just this moment of reminder. That God will be with us. He's our steadfast light. But Paul, when he says, listen guys, I want you to know that spiritually we are in darkness. And we're in captivity. And the God of this world is keeping, He's blind and he says the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light. And then Paul says, but guys, oh we know there's hope. You know why? Because the God of Genesis 1 who said, let there be light. That same God can shine the light of Christ into our hearts and our minds that we might have the blinders removed and say, Oh, glory be to Christ. God has come for us. This is Emmanuel. And so it's just a reminder, right? So John's role here as the witness, right? As he testifies, he, he comes bearing witness about the light that all might believe through him. But he, his, his witness, it's significant, but it's not supreme, right? John is, is simply a witness, a, a sign pointing forward. I, I remember back as a kid, Prior to phones and GPS, right? You were, you were going on trips and you were wondering where you would eat, right? You might look up at the billboard and it might say, exit 195, Cracker Barrel, right? 33 miles. And you'd be thinking, man, am I going to have Uncle Herschel's or old timers or maybe I'll have them both, right? Some of you are already there. You're wanting to go, right? And I remember as a kid, you were counting down those miles, the next 33, right? Now, listen, we were pumped right at exit 160 or mile marker 162 that we saw this sign and that at 33 miles ahead 195 was going to be cracker barrel i was pumped about that sign but we never stopped and got the car and like we love this sign we're just going to stay here no the sign pointed to something more important greater right and so the sign was significant but it wasn't supreme it was pointing us ahead guys that's john's role he's pointing ahead saying there's a true light coming it's not me But I want you to know it's coming. And so in John's declaration, there's excitement that there's a God who comes to the people in darkness, just as Isaiah promised. And notice what John says about himself or John, the gospel writer, speaking about him. He says in verse eight, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then verse 15, he picks up again a second section about John. Look what he says. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Because he was before me. I think in both of these sections, as a reminder, right? Notice the couple reminders that step out. First, John's not the light. Secondly, notice what he says this other one that comes after me, he ranks before me. And John's okay with that. Why? He says because this one that's come, he's God. He's always been, so of course he was before me. I think in some ways, it was a reminder to us as we share the gospel that the spotlight isn't ours, we're not the light. Right? I mean, we're not first rank. We are, again, we are those through whom the light shines. We are simply the messengers. But as you might imagine, that we're in this great cosmic play. And guys, listen, it's not our call to be center stage. God has placed us here at different places, right, seemingly. And the light shines as it looks to us, right? We're pointing forth to the true light. We're the messengers saying the true light. And what's amazing is, is that people look over and see the true light, God who became flesh, and what do they see Him doing? riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Not as this great king, even though he is, but it's humble. They see him there in John 13, the night before he was betrayed, with a towel wrapped around his waist, washing the disciples' feet. This one who the spotlight shines is yet fully God, and yet there is such great humility. This humble servant as we hear of Jesus being that light and overcoming the darkness, it, it reminds me of some of the missionaries that we support. So maybe you haven't given yet to our International Mission Board offering to Lottie Moon as we celebrate this time of recognizing our missionaries. But I want to remind you to give. It supports missionaries like Mark and Parker Phillips, who are there from Bowling Green, Kentucky, who live in West Africa and Niger, who have been serving. And guess what? For a long time, this has been their motto. It's John 1, verse 5. And this statement stands out from them. It's simply this light wins light wins right the words of john 1 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. the darkness has not understood it i think the question is well how does light win well light wins through jesus humility and surrender they takes off his royal robes and he comes and lives as a man facing temptation and yet he never gives in light wins When Jesus stands in our place in the darkness of the cross, taking the wrath and the judgment of God for us. Light wins when Jesus steps into the darkness of death, into that empty tomb. And one day, rising forth on that Sunday morning, declaring He is one. And light wins in our lives, in everyday moments, and often they're so small. I was reminded of one last week in Sunday school. I was sitting there and Emily was teaching and we often assign our kids different responsibilities. And so some weeks some kids are responsible for passing out, make sure they have Bibles and others are tearing the sheets out, giving them and pencils and different things. They have different responsibilities. And so one of our young ladies last week was responsible for passing out the sheet and the pencils. And one of our young men walked in a few minutes as we were already starting our lesson. And and I look, I'm sitting right, right over there almost next to her and I can watch and and she looks, she gives the sheet, passes to him and then she looks down and there's no pencil. And so she turns behind her to get another pencil off the shelf. And the pencil that was there was one that was broken. It has no eraser. The lead is not very good on it. And she looks at it for a moment. And she looks down and there's her pencil. Long, right, has the eraser, great lead, looks perfect, brand new. And just this moment. And this beautiful thing happens. She takes her pencil, passes it this young man, and she keeps the broken one for herself. This young man probably didn't recognize it, probably nobody else in the class. There was no great announcement. But I thought in that moment, that's what light winning looks like, right? It's just humble moments when we die to ourselves. I think sometimes we think it's this big, great thing that we have to do out in front of everyone. we got to go and do all these things. Guys, light wins in just little moments as you die to yourself in your marriage, Light wins as you simply obey your parents in just little small moments. Light wins as you put another classmate before yourself. Light winds as you call to check on a neighbor. How are you doing during this Christmas season? Right? It's just little moments where light wins of just small, humble acts. Why? Because we follow the example of our Savior. So Jesus coming, it declares that God has become flesh. Jesus coming is declared by John's witness. And third and last, Jesus coming is to be received, not rejected. I think that's really the question, right? How do we respond to the fact that God has become flesh? How should we respond to that? Well, look what he says, beginning in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. By all accounts, this is shocking. The Word, God himself, the creator of the universe, the true light has come into his creation and his creation's rejected him and not only is that like what's more shocking right is what we see there in verse 11 he came to his own and his own people didn't what church they didn't receive him i mean it's it's baffling right i mean but really this is in some way just the prologue of what john's going to show us because chapter 2 through 10 of john is this moment of miracles that jesus keeps performing like he'll he'll like do water into wine, or he'll feed five thousand, or heal the blind, or he'll heal the lame. And guess what? After these miracles, people instead of receiving him, they keep rejecting him. And then we come into John eleven, and Jesus finds this man Lazarus, who's been long dead, and he raises him from the dead. And you would think, man, surely that's it. It says immediately they began to plot how to kill him. You see these moments in which Jesus comes on the scene and reveals his glory. Listen. I am the word that has become flesh. I am God who has come to you. I am, as he says in John 58, I am. And yet he's rejected. And so in John 1, 11, we get this prologue of so much of what is going to unfold throughout his gospel that he came to his own. The word that became flesh has come to his own people and his own people did not receive him. I don't know about you, but maybe today you're here, you're waiting for another sign to be truly convinced. Like you need God to do this, like he's got to turn the light on really bright as we sing this song, these perfect words, or he's got to have this happen or do some kind of magic trick to prove it to you. Guys, this gospel is written, as Brother Todd's been reminding us, and as you've been preaching through John on Wednesday nights, John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John is writing here to tell us, guys, this is the good news of the gospel. And I think maybe we might say today, well, Blake, of course I've received Jesus. But I, I want to maybe just press in on that just for a moment. The Word became flesh. So, so there's a sense in which God's Word, it's alive, as Hebrews 4 tells us, living and active. So the truth is, guys, when we rebel against God's Word, when we reject what God's Word has to say, In essence, we're rejecting Jesus. Why? Because you can't separate Jesus from the Word. To reject the Word of God is to reject Jesus. Do you see that? He is the Word that's become flesh. And so the gospel is there. I mean, that probably stings a little because all of us have areas in our life where we're rejecting the Word. So the question is, what will God's response be to His people who have rebelled against Him? What will God's response be? Well, look what happens. Verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god i don't know if you heard it it's startling and remarkable right that god's response to our rebellion i don't know about you but sometimes i'm just prone to wonder like how does god really feel about me like what is his heart toward me actually like and what do we see here in this moment when god's very own people reject him he doesn't throw in the towel. He keeps coming. He keeps offering himself to them. And that's what you're going to see throughout John's gospel. They reject him again and again, miracle after miracle. And yet he keeps showing mercy and grace. He keeps forgiving. Right? And we might ask, well, how, does God, how do we become God's people? Or how does he do this? Notice what he says in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do they become these children of God? What takes place? Look what he says who were born not of blood right you might ask they might have asked well maybe being born jewish gives us right the right and perfect right we are just, we're just we're stamped man we're automatically in because we're jewish and we have abraham and moses and the prophets right and david he's just not born of the flesh and Noah says you're not born of the will of the flesh nor the will of man so it's a reminder, God, that we're not born of the will of man. There's no work that we can do to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. He says, I want you to know how people become children of God. How does the light win? He says, it is they are born. Look what he says here. Who were born? And the statement is they're born of God. It's a work of God to overcome our sinful flesh. Right? It doesn't matter which family you've born in, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. The reminder is this the gospel comes that we might hear the gospel today and believe on it because the word becomes flesh and he's dwelt among us. This is the greatest declaration, right? That you are loved beyond anything that you can ever imagine, even in our sin. It's the love of the gospel. Several years ago, Emily and I, we had quite the disagreement, quite the fight, right? And it's funny now, as I think back on it, that I can't really even remember what it was about. Is that startling at times, right, that some of our biggest fights in our relationships, like atomic bombs that get dropped, are the most insignificant stuff that we soon after can't even remember? But anyway, we were fighting as mature adults that we are. We were having a conversation through text messaging, right? That's, That's a great way to work out things. And I remember some point in the midst of that texting that something changed. She just began to tell me that she loved me and she forgave me. Now I was still wondering as I went home that day, like, what was it going to be like, right? And I remember kind of like slowly opening the door, right? I've been a pretty big jerk, right? Some of you have been there. Come on. Some of you are there now. And I, I remember thinking, man, how's it actually going to be? And man, she comes up and there's this like smile, but a smirk on my face, her face. And she's like, I love you, Blake Jesse. And then she hugs me a little tight, right? And, but it was this reminder, right? The things that I'd seen the text message about love and forgiveness, the things I'd seen the word, guys, I think that's what's happening here. That God's Word has been written throughout the Old Testament, but now in Jesus becoming flesh, it is this full-on, frontal reminder that God truly loves you. That He cares for you. That He's not forgotten you. That He is merciful and gracious in forgiving our sin and the sending of His Son. It's the hope of the Gospel. So maybe today you're here and you believe that God's given up on you. You think it's too, too good to be true that God could love you even in your sin? But the reminder is this gospel comes. It comes and, and it's just this overwhelmingness of just grace and mercy that falls upon our lives. Look what he says in, in verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I think that times the Bible project kind of reminds us that often we want to pit like the law against God and his word. But that's not the truth. That's not the case. You see, when John writes and he says that from his fullness, we've all received, he says grace upon grace. He writes then he says, well, the, the, the grace that came to us first, he says, it was the law. It was given through Moses. You see, the law itself reveals who God is. And the law is in itself beautiful, as Paul says in Romans, that it's holy and righteous and good. But the truth is, if we have the law alone, all we see is God's holiness and our sinfulness. But he says, I want you to know that, yes, it's grace because it's revealing God's character and his nature, how good he is. But he says, I want you to know that there's other grace. There's more grace. And he says that grace is when Jesus comes and he is the self-revelation of who the Father truly is he reveals to us who God is. And he says, I want you to know that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He says, God, God's given God's given us grace upon grace. And it's not just in the New Testament that God's given grace. In Exodus 32, Moses has received the Ten Commandments and he's coming down the mountain. And as he gets close to the camp, he sees the Israelite people who have made this golden calf and they're dancing around it and there's other ungodly actions happening. And, and Moses, he throws the tablets down. There's judgment things that unfold, but the very next chapter, Exodus 33, is when God reveals his glory to Moses. And then in chapter 34, God in his grace reoffers the law to the people. I think as we see the truth of who God is, it's not just that the God, of the New Testament is this God of grace and mercy. No, God has always been a God of grace and mercy, and he displays it ultimately in the sending of a son, a son who came despite the fact that we had rebelled Right, It's it's this greatest declaration of God's forgiveness that our rebellion against the law, yes, it's fatal. Yes, it is cosmic treason against the holy God. But there's a God who loves us, who's willing to send His Son for us. Today, maybe you think God loving you is too good to be true. right? He comes to those who have again and again broken His law and rebelled against Him. And what do we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospel? Forgiving sinners. Healing the sick feeding the 5,000, showing compassion, raising the dead, right? Again and again, we see him showing God's love to us, saying that, guys, I want you to know, my grace is greater than all of your sin. So the person here today who has rejected him, to the person here today who is in rebellion against him, maybe you wonder, why do Christians celebrate Christmas? Like, what's all this fuss about? I think because the birth of Christ is the declaration to us in our sin, is that in our sin, God doesn't run from us. He runs to us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not because we somehow earned or deserved or kept the law well enough or that we're good enough people. No, in our sin, the people walking in darkness have seen a light. It is God in our sin, not running from us, but running to us. Some of you today, you need to hear this word and respond and believe upon it. That you might be those who receive the word, those who believed, those who became children of God. I compel you today, believe upon the gospel and be saved. Others of you here today, you hear these words of Jesus being rejected and maybe it reminds you of the rejection you have often felt. Maybe Christmas is a reminder of old wounds of past hurts that maybe aren't healed or haven't ever been healed. Maybe it's this Christmas season was new wounds that opened for you. And family situations. I think we can often come to this time of year. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. And sometimes it can feel like the most miserable time of the year. The brokenness in our families. Relationships that are distant and not right. People that we love are gone. Things just feel broken and hopeless i want to compel you there's a god who understands your rejection there's a god who himself was rejected by his own people but even greater than that this god this word that became flesh he was rejected see in the garden the night before that he would go to the cross the next day he's there praying and we hear the words in matthew twenty-six thirty-nine: father if it is possible may this cup pass from me Yet not my will, but your will be done. Do you know that the Father never took that cup out of the Son's hand? That cup of judgment that was set for us? The Son, you see, and experienced the rejection. Why? Because there's no other way to save us. And the good news is that Jesus Himself experienced rejection. Why? So that we will never have to. So that we will never experience standing before God and being rejected. Do you hear that hope today? that you are not alone, that there is a God who has become flesh, who has dwelt among us, a God who has come to rescue you, who's lived the perfect life that we could never live, who's died the death that we deserve to die, who faced death on our behalf and was raised again. This is the hope of the gospel. This is grace upon grace. I pray today that John 1 has reminded you of the hope of the gospel, that the word has become flesh, that you see the beauty of your God, Who doesn't run from you in your sin. But instead runs to you. I pray. And in light of that. You can say man it is a merry Christmas. Would you pray with me. Father we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you God that your word became flesh. I pray now for those in this room Lord. Who are rejecting you. God that you. You by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would cause the light to shine in their hearts that they might see the gospel. I pray, Father God, now for those in the room who are experiencing rejection and loneliness, that they would know that your Son, too, experienced rejection and loneliness. God, that they would see that He has come to dwell among us and ultimately with us. Lord, I ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would strengthen our church to go out in the darkness proclaim simply the light winds through little acts of just submission and surrender where we love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, by the power of Your Spirit, compel us to give up our pencils and be willing to take the broken ones, to put truly others first, to consider them more important than ourselves. God, strengthen us by Your Spirit to show Your glory by loving others. I pray this, Lord, in Your name. Amen.